You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Pastor Tom began a series simply entitled Heaven. Today, Pastor Megan shares with us about our brokenness, that our brokenness sets our eyes on heaven and gives us hope that it won't always be this way. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. That's wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. We're so glad you're getting caught up. So let's get right into part three of the sermon series, Heaven. Well, good morning, Word of Life. It's good to have you here on this snowy day. I'm happy about the snow. I mean, I've been waiting for it. It feels like it's been fall forever. Uh, yeah, so we've been in this series about heaven over the last few weeks, and um, I know that many of us have enjoyed it. We've gotten so much feedback on this being one of your favorite message series that we have done, and I've got to be honest, it's one of mine as well. Uh, but week one, we talked about why the Bible is the ultimate story of restoration, and what was lost and what will be restored and then last week, Tom talked about what should we expect about heaven, the tragic reality of hell, but the amazing grace of Jesus. And one thing that can be seen as we study heaven and read what the Bible has to say about heaven is that the world is not our home. Heaven is our home, and we are waiting for the day when we are called home. From the time that we are born... Here on this earth, we are waiting for that time. In the last two weeks, Tom had mentioned a couple of resources, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And if you'd like to, if you didn't get a chance to write these down, you can write them down now. But it's Heaven by Randy Alcorn, Bible Doctrine by William Menzies, and the website Eternal Perspective, which is epm.com. I have a few resources that I used and I'll cite from today. But you may also find them helpful. So the first one is The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, um, one of my favorite books. I read this probably in my early 20s, and it still remains one of my favorites. Um, it's about why God allows bad things to happen. And then the second one is Heaven, Your Real Home from a Higher Perspective by Johnny Erickson Tata. And it's about about living a fruitful life while longing for heaven. And it answers some of our questions on why we should long for heaven, why should we should do that. And that's a new, or, or not a new book, but it was a new book to me, and um, I found it very encouraging. But both of these books discuss the good things about this world and the brokenness we face in this world while delivering the hope that we will one day be restored to wholeness by our Father, and that we will live with him in heaven. We were always meant to dwell with God, and for God to dwell with us for eternity. We were created for eternity and to live in wholeness. This is why there are aspects of the world that feel foreign to us. There's heartache that we feel ill-equipped to cope with, because we were created to live in God's presence, free and unaware of all pain and suffering, free from sin and the consequences of sin. Our brokenness sets our eyes on heaven and gives us hope that it won't always be this way. 
Let's go ahead and pray. God, I just, God, we just pray right now, God, that as um, this next 30 minutes or so that we have together, God, I pray that, um, that there would be hope, God, that we would have, God, towards heaven, God, towards dwelling with you, being in your presence for eternity. God, I pray that um, this message today would give us a higher perspective. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I don't know if you have ever had this experience, but like living in a construction zone, like if you've been doing some remodeling in your house, maybe you've been remodeling your kitchen or your bathrooms or any other room in your house. But um, one thing I know for sure is that it's never a fun time. We can't wait for the end product, but the getting there is tough, right? I think about kitchens, right? You, you, if you don't have your kitchen sink, you're washing dishes in the bathtub. You know, if you don't have a stove, you're heating up meals in a microwave. If you don't have a microwave, you're eating out every single night of the week. Maybe it's paper plates for months. But you know that you are in your house, but it feels so hard, feels hard for it to feel like home. When there is work to be done in your house and the constant awareness that it is not finished yet, it's so difficult for it to feel like home. There's a longing for it to be completed so that it will truly feel like home. In the same way, our brokenness reminds us that this is not our home. Our own brokenness makes us homesick. It makes us homesick for heaven. We were intended for heaven. Heaven is a place that is absent of all things broken. It's a place where all things are restored to their intended purpose. Heaven is void of separation from God. It is void of separation from our loved ones who have gone before us. It's void of pain, sorrow, sin, and loss. It is void of brokenness. The second coming, or when Jesus comes back, is God's promises fulfilled in their entirety. See, the Garden of Eden is what we were intended for. The tree of life was what we were meant for. We were never meant for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The problem was, and still continues to be, that Adam and Eve chose to rely on themselves rather than relying on God. And it's the same for us. For some reason, we desire to be in control. We desire to be able to rely on ourselves. Their desire for self-reliance meant all of humanity was separated from Eden and from dwelling with God. In Genesis, it says, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. See, sin and God cannot coexist. God had to protect the tree of life from sin. And Eden and heaven could not be contaminated by sin. Therefore, eternity and sin could not dwell together, which meant humanity was separated from God. We were meant for eternity, 
to dwell with God in his fullness without sin. Brokenness is foreign to us because we, were meant, we weren't meant to experience it. Our brokenness is a reminder that this is not my home. In Chronicles it says, we are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as the ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Our time on earth is so small in comparison to the rest of eternity. And it's hard for us to imagine that because it can feel so long at times and it's all that we know. But it is such a small part of eternity. We are only visitors. We're only visiting. In Isaiah, it says, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they built and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Where our home is, we will not be disappointed. We won't be disappointed in it. Think about all the things that are painful, devastating, heart-wrenching, our brokenness and the brokenness of the world. They do not exist in heaven. My most favorite verse in the Bible that I've gone back to time and time again to restore hope is this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. In an instant, when I get to heaven, he will wipe my tears, and there will never be a reason to be sad again. In an instant, all my brokenness, all the brokenness I have experienced will be gone. Therefore, when life hurts, when I am at my most broken, it draws me back to heaven, my home. My own brokenness and the brokenness of the world makes me homesick because I was made for the kind of perfection that we see in Eden. I was made for heaven. I was made to dwell with my father. And this world, it shouldn't feel like home. It lacks the security and the wholeness that heaven has. 
the brokenness of this world is a painful reminder of the hope that we have. In Philippians, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. One day, God will bring everything back into his control, which means all things broken will be restored. So we live in this time that the theologians call the now but not yet. So we live in the now but not yet. What does this mean? It means Jesus initiated his kingdom on earth when he came to earth and he lived with us and he died and rose again. His initiation meant that the kingdom of God is both with us on earth through the Holy Spirit empowering us, but we won't experience the fullness of his kingdom until the second coming when Jesus comes back. So we still have sin on earth, which means although we have access to his kingdom while on earth, we are still unable to experience it in its entirety. So what does it mean to live in the now but not yet? It means we experience glimpses of heaven. We experience good things that are given by God on this earth. C.S. Lewis says, Our Father refreshes us on this journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. The not yet means there are things that we also have not experienced in God's fullness, such as healing and restoration. These are things that remind us that we are not home yet. They keep our eyes fixed on God and fixed on heaven. We can experience God's goodness here on earth, but we cannot experience it in its fullness. We shouldn't be surprised when we go through difficult times and we have troubles and pain. Because of sin, we also experience brokenness. However, God's goodness can still shine through our brokenness. This is another quote I like by C.S. Lewis. He says, we, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists ab- upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God doesn't want us to be comfortable here because this isn't our home. He uses our pain to speak to us and to remind us that this world is not our home, that he is where our home is. We are just visitors, which means that we are meant to bring his kingdom to earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, working hard to make sure that we don't make this place our home. First Peter, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. We continue to experience brokenness knowing that one day we won't. One day we won't face the worldly desires that, they, that destroy us. What are the things that we won't experience in heaven? The first thing is strife and broken relationships. We experience this on earth, but we won't experience it in heaven. In heaven, there won't be tumultuous relationships, broken marriages, fractured relationships with parents or children, and there will be no war. And Isaiah says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb 
will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and little children will lead them all. The cows will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hands in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And then in Micah, it says, In the last day, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. And the Lord will mediate between people and will settle disputes be between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise through the nations around us, Though the nations around us follow their idols, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. There will be peace amongst them. We all have to clap, right? Those verses are saying we will have peace amongst everyone. I love how it says, you know, the lion will eat hay. In other words, the lion will have no reason to eat other animals. Because there will be peace amongst everyone. Broken relationships will be restored. And there won't be a reason for war because there won't be strife. On earth, we experience broken bodies. In heaven, there are no disabilities. The paralyzed will walk. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. Mental disabilities will no longer exist. No disabilities from extra chromosomes or less chromosomes. Chronic illnesses won't exist. Cancer diagnoses won't exist. There won't be any sick babies. There won't be any sickness, colds, or flu. And mental health will be restored, which means there won't be envy, depression, anxiety, insecurity, pride, fear, or addictions. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Our bodies will be made new. If you're in here and you're paralyzed or you have some sort of disability or a chronic illness or some sort of um, sickness or illness, this gives us hope that one day it won't be that way. That there is a new body 
that is waiting for us. One of the books that I referred to in the beginning of the message um, called Heaven, the lady who wrote it, her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was 17 years old, she was in a diving accident. Um, she decided to dive into some water, not realizing how shallow it was, fracturing several vertebrae, which left her a quadriplegic. She has spent her life looking towards heaven, where her body will be made whole. Rather than allowing herself to become bitter with her circumstances, she dreams of the day she talks about being able to swim and being able to run. She has spent her time on earth helping others look towards heaven and to live their lives in light of the hope that eternity brings. She wants to, she wants others to have an eternal hope, to have an, an eternal perspective. One of the things, one of the quotes that she says, it's, is this, it's whispering that heaven will not be an unmaking of all the good things we know, but a new and vastly improved version. Heaven will also be an undoing of all the bad things we know, as God wipes away every tear and closes the curtain on pain and disappointment. I love that, closes the curtain on pain and disappointment. So we experience broken bodies. The other thing is we toil. And toil is a, an interesting word that we don't really use much. So I thought we would read from Genesis 3 where it talks about that. It says, this is right after Adam and Eve have um, sinned and God has told them that they have to leave the Garden of Eden. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. In other words, that nothing will come easy. It will always be hard work. We will be exhausted, we will have difficulty, we will have unyielding results, maybe jobs that don't quite provide enough, working hard for limited results, feeling like you work all the time for only a little bit, droughts, plagues, recessions, food shortages. These are all a part of that curse of toiling, but in heaven there won't be any of those things. In Romans it says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. We won't have to toil. It even says that the earth that it groans, right? The creation groans. And one day, 
It won't be like that. I don't believe that we won't work in heaven. I believe we will work in heaven because Adam worked in, heaven, in Eden, right? He was responsible for caring for the animals and creation. But I do believe that it will be something that we enjoy and it won't be difficult. My grandpa, he was a very wealthy man. He spent a majority of his life building wealth. And it was his greatest priority and the only thing he really cared about. And he struggled with his relationships, struggled with his relationships with his children, with his wife, or wives, I should say. And he just struggled throughout his whole entire time on this earth to really see what mattered. He built, you know, quite an empire for himself. He, at one point in time, he was worth several million from all of his hard work. But towards the end of his life, it was during the recession, and he lost everything. He didn't just, it wasn't anything that he did, but it was because of the economy and the things around him. So suddenly, all the things that mattered to him that he had built his life around were gone. And I, I believe that towards the end, I know that he had made a decision to follow Jesus several years before that, but I believe towards the end of his life that losing everything meant he had to reprioritize. It meant he had to realize what truly mattered around him, and I watched him go from being a distant person to a very loving and caring person who would call his kids often just to see how they were doing. That when I would talk with him, I, general, I genuinely felt like he wanted to know how I was doing. And the interesting thing is his wife, she had never really had a true relationship with him because he was incapable of it. But she stuck around for the financial security. And then all of a sudden, everything was gone. When my grandfather passed away. What was left of his wealth, some of the family members fought over. They fought over what was left behind because I think that that was what mattered to him. But they had also expected there would be all of this money for them because that is what they had heard forever. It's really disappointing when you build a life of looking to the world for treasure and expecting it to provide for you and that if I work hard enough, then I'll be happy because the world, it cannot deliver on its promises of contentment. We toil, which means we can work really hard and it can be gone tomorrow. But in heaven, it won't be like that. And so we focus on heaven so that our treasure is in heaven. On earth, we experience sin. These are all things that we experience because of sin. But in heaven, there will be no sin. It won't exist anymore. It says in Revelation, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When Jesus comes back, we will live in his victory over sin. 
we know that at the end of the story, he is victorious, which means that we are victorious. On earth, we also experience loss and grief. We experience broken marriages. Maybe it's a marriage we thought we would have forever and now it's gone. Jobs, maybe we finally got that dream job only to lose that dream job. Maybe there's a job that just gives us financial security and now that financial security is gone. Or relationships. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend or a family member that we still really care about, but for whatever reason, we can't seem to redeem that relationship. Maybe it's a home. Maybe you moved to a house and you said, this is the last house I'm going to move to. And for some reason, you lost that house or you had to pick up and move again. Or maybe it's the loss of loved ones, the loss of a spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling, or a friend. In Bible college, I went to Bible college in Australia, and um, while I was away at Bible college, I had this professor, and he was a Christian psychologist, and he taught our counseling course. And he asked this question one day. He said, what do you think God will say to you when you get to heaven? And I think we all answered, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And he said, I just wonder. And I like to think that when we get to heaven, what we will hear is, I will wipe every tear from your eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And I don't have any reason to say that's exactly what we said to us, but I love the picture of that. I love the picture of us getting to heaven and one day it just being, us just being filled with joy because we won't have to face any more pain. This same professor, he had found out that my brother was very sick and that he was running out of treatment options. And so he took the time and he called me into his office and he met with me and he, he said, you know, he talked to me about suffering. And he said, did you know that even Jesus wept? And he talked about how Jesus wept and how Jesus experienced the brokenness that we experience while he was here on earth. And then he repeated that same verse to me and told me that one day there wouldn't be any more pain. Several months after I met with him, my brother passed away. And when it came time to plan his memorial service, this was the verse that we used. This is one of the reasons why it's my favorite verse. It was also the verse that my brother Timothy's church had been reading in their Bible reading for that week when he passed. And then when I came back to Australia, my first Sunday back at church, Hillsong Church, Maddie Crocker introduced the song, You Hold Me Now. And we sang this song in worship today. But I wanna take a, just a moment to read the lyrics to you and I just ask that um, just think about the words as I read them maybe you want to close your eyes but these are the lyrics on that day when I see all that you have for me when I see you face to face they're surrounded by your grace 
all my fears swept away in the light of your embrace where your love is all i need and forever i am free where the streets are made of gold in your presence healed and whole let the set songs of heaven rise to you alone no weeping no hurt or pain no suffering you hold me now you hold me now no darkness no sick or lame no hiding you hold me now you hold me now in this life i will stand through my joy and my pain knowing there's a greater day there's a hope that never fails where your name is lifted high and forever praises rise for the glory of your name i'm believing for the day where the wars and violence cease all creation lives in peace let the songs of heaven rise to you alone no weeping no hurt or pain no suffering you hold me now you hold me now no darkness no sick or lame no hiding you hold me now you hold me now for eternity all my heart will give all the glory to your name how good is god he was preparing me for months before my brother passed away through my professor then through my brother's service through the church that he was attending's bible reading in the week then again through a brand new song when i came back to australia did i sing this song with joy no i couldn't even listen to it in a service without crying let alone sing it and still now even 15 years later, I still struggle to be able to sing this song. Yet God was reminding me that my brother was no longer suffering, no longer experiencing the pain that he was, and that one day he would wipe all my tears away and I would no longer feel the pain of loss and separation. I questioned God why he didn't heal my brother on earth, and there have been many things since then that I have seen God turn around on earth and many things that I haven't or I'm still praying and believing for. The promise though is one day I won't experience the pain and suffering of this world. I will walk in the complete wholeness and restoration that is waiting for me in heaven. I think a lot of times we want a shortcut life and we don't want to experience the pain and the suffering that is in the world but none of us get unscathed we all experience brokenness to some degree we all experience pain and i know that this is supposed to be this message on heaven and we've been talking about how wonderful heaven is but i think that we can look forward to heaven even more when we realize that all the things that are painful on this earth do not exist in heaven. They're just gone forever. That when we get there, I don't even think it'll matter anymore to us. We will just be so happy to be with our Father in heaven and to be reunited with people that we've missed. Our brokenness is a reminder that this is not my home. The brokenness of this world is a painful reminder of the hope we have. We live in the now, but not yet. 
because on earth we experience strife and broken relationships and broken bodies. We toil, we have sin, and we have loss, and we have grief. But at the second coming, when Jesus comes back, humanity will be restored, and they will, they will dwell with God for eternity. We will dwell with God for eternity. I want to go back to Genesis. In Genesis 2, this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onk stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gion, flows around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Theologian, he says, in Genesis, we were introduced to the tree of life planted in the middle of the garden. To eat of its fruit was to live forever. As a consequence of Adam's sin, therefore, the first couple were banished from the garden to work the ground cursed with thorns and thistles. Now in Revelation, we see redeemed humanity back in the garden, able to eat the bountiful fruit of the tree of life. The curse has been removed. With Genesis, or, yeah, with Genesis 3, 14 through 24. And God's people are again privileged to see his face and serve him. No greater good or more joyous truth could be imagined than eternal fellowship with God in the land. Truly, the unimaginable blessings of Eden have been restored. So then we go to the very last chapter in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and it says this. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. This is a picture of Eden restored. And then it says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. All things will be redeemed, and as God originally planned them. This is why we should have an eternal home. This is why we shouldn't put our hope in this earth because it is nothing compared to the eternity that we will get to live in. We can't imagine it, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. So whereas we're talking about heaven, Sometimes the diff most difficult things that we face here on earth help us to realize heaven is nothing like what we experience here. And that it is so much better and it gives us hope for our future.
which means that it gives us perspective. Well, why don't we go ahead and stand? We're going to go back into worship here for in a second, and I just want to pray for you. God, we just pray right now, God, for your hope, God, to be um, just restored. God, I pray if there's anyone in here, God, that has just maybe just been looking at their own circumstances and getting so lost in them without seeing the hope that you, that you give us hope that is in front of us. God, I pray that today, God, that hope would be restored. God, I pray that we would have a heavenly perspective, God. God, that we'd have an eternal perspective on the things of this earth, God. God, that we bring your kingdom to this earth. God, that we wouldn't live in this place as if it's our own, God. But God, we would um, lift our faces towards heaven. God, that our mission would be to draw people to you, God. To draw people to eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen.